Greetings and welcome to the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast, Episode 8. I've got a great show for you today. I am really excited about today's podcast. Um, it's going to be a little different than usual and uh, a little bit longer. Well, a lot longer, actually. So I don't know if, as I'm saying this, if I'm going to be putting this episode out in two parts or if it'll just be one long one, but either way... Uh, I have a very special guest, a real one, um, this time. <laughs> we taped it last night and uh, we had an awesome conversation. Uh, his name is Parker Robinson. Um, Parker is somebody I've worked with for the past few years. He is just a brilliant audio engineer. And I thought it would be good to bring him on the podcast and just pick his brain a little bit about recording, you know, classical guitars, just recording in general, but. Uh, as far as we're concerned on this podcast, classical guitars, you know, miking techniques, and um, mainly talking about, you know, very affordable options, especially for someone who's just starting out. And so uh, we had an awesome conversation about that. Parker's really knowledgeable. I probably should have tried to tap into even more, um, but uh, we, we did cover quite a bit. And, um, and so that's probably about the first 50 minutes or so of the conversation (laughs) and then it gets off the rails a little bit which uh, I sort of steered that way on purpose Um, and so uh, (laughs) I I, I recommend you listen to the entire thing it gets it gets really fun and uh, you know it's a little bit different but you know he's a fun guy to be around and I I wanted to uh, definitely share that side of him in the conversation and so the entire conversation is on the podcast and we talk a lot about uh, microphone techniques we talk a little bit about classical guitar and then we talk a lot about all sorts of random things and so I think you're gonna want to stick around for that and then we will end the podcast with music from Scott Niebauer who sent in four short pieces and they are awesome so i am really excited about today's show stick around if it ends up being in two parts uh you know scott's music will be in at the end of the second part um either way you're going to want to listen to the whole thing but if you are just here for the music make sure you jump to the to the end and uh hear what scott sent it's fantastic and just real quick i'd like to say if you are listening for the first time Uh, The Classical Guitar Composers Podcast is a place where you can send in your own original composition for classical guitar. You just send in a recording, mp3, through an email uh, to chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com. With that, I'm going to jump right into this interview with Parker. He's one of my favorite people, and uh, we had a blast. I, I think I might do this again sometime. So get yourself a nice, tall, maybe a pitcher of iced tea, and... uh get into a nice comfy seat and enjoy this little sit down with audio engineer Parker Robinson. I'd like to say welcome to the podcast Parker. It's, it feels weird to say that because we're here at your home studio. <laughs> <laughs> but right. uh, welcome to your studio. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I guess welcome you to my studio, but I am uh, thrilled to be on the podcast. I've listened to your other episodes and I, I really like it. Cool. And your background in classical guitar is? Uh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, aside from listening to what you've shown me, that's pretty much the expanse of my knowledge. Okay, great. Let's talk about yeah. something else. Perfect. Then. I represent the kidding. layman, you know, but <laughs> I do have musical training as a saxophonist. I don't know if that, it, it at least gets me in the room of having vocabulary for music. And Oh yeah, so. for sure. Well, I know you're a a brilliant musician and I mean the reason uh, why I wanted to do this is mainly uh, you know we both work um, in audio and I think you are a brilliant audio engineer and I would just like to pick your brain a little bit okay well uh, that's very complimentary thank you <laughs> well no I, I appreciate that for sure um, you know my my listeners you know y- you know the show so mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure some want to do recordings or somebody, you know, maybe out there who really doesn't know where to start. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, 
I kind of like to tailor this more to somebody who doesn't have, you know, $3,000 invested into some gear, but more just like simple miking. Somebody miking just a classical guitar yeah. in their house, you know, who isn't going to spend a lot of money. I can tell you for me, like, uh, I use a a $100 microphone, which is pretty cheap in the world of microphones, Yeah, but it can definitely get cheaper. But yeah, I just use a, a little condenser mic, and I... I tried some different placements. Um, what I did was I, I recorded like, I don't know, 12 bars of something one day, and I tried like every possible <laughs> mic placement I could think of. Right, right. Because I was getting this um, kind of boomy sound. I had a lot of low-end frequency uh, just right. for my guitar, and I didn't like it. It, it was mm-hmm. not bass. It was just mud, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was putting the mic below the guitar. You know, right. what I've kind of got going now is it's, um, I'd say, about eight inches away from my sound, the sound hole on my guitar. It right. gives enough room for my hand. Yeah. And it's a slightly above uh, the sound hole, sort of angled down toward it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I do. But I'm actually curious of, you know. Yeah. See, I, I just did this through experimenting. I have no training in mic placement. Well, and I think uh, the experimentation aspect of it is actually, like, the, the number one thing. I would stress, really, honestly, because uh, depending on what your threshold is for, like, expense and experience, um, you know, you can start from nothing. You can start from cheap stuff. The, the biggest thing is to know how your guitar, you know, sounds, how you're playing, you know, may have like weaknesses in the recording process, not in the playing at all. You know, there, there are some who have a stronger sensibility in how they pick the guitar or strum the guitar or fret noise, and that can be, you know, gauge of string, and, like, a lot of things play into what can make the guitar trickier, or at really any instrument, to record. And so the biggest thing is to, like, know your gear, and the only way to really know your gear is to just record a lot and experiment. See, see what you're doing that you like, try to like chase that and try to dodge the stuff that you don't like so like the approach that you're applying to figure out what works in your room with your guitar is like really the biggest thing to stress you have to do a lot of that um in terms of like technique you know for the guitar especially uh, your instincts about where to put it and arriving at where you're going to put it i think are also right on you know the the tone hall is is where you're going to get a lot of the projection, but you oftentimes don't want to be direct on that for a lot of reasons because not only is the like acoustic energy leaving the guitar, it's also moving a little bit of air, and you know you maybe don't want the sound of just that part of the instrument. So having it off and angled is great. Um, one thing, uh, you know, you mentioned a hundred dollar microphone. There's really nothing wrong with that either, so long as you know how it behaves and know how it works. The cheaper microphones can tend to emphasize uh, frequencies um, like they'll usually have an EQ curve in the highs to try to add a little bit of life and sometimes that can be a good thing sometimes it can be a bad thing depending on what you're recording I find that for acoustic stuff that can be a tricky thing sometimes you don't want to overemphasize that sometimes you want something very flat and natural and really recording is a compromise you know you're kind of it's never as good as your own two ears in the room you know? Yeah, definitely. So that's like the biggest concern is the the fight is, you know, how do you get the best thing captured that you can and have it still not be as good as being able to hear it live, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard it put in those terms, but that is true. It is a compromise. Yeah. Because you don't you never hear it the way you heard it in the room. Yeah. And uh and that's interesting. So, you know, just a little bit of what Parker and I do. We work at a recording studio. Um and so we deal with, you know, some people like this, but, you know, when it comes to guitars, and we're, we're using, you know, really fancy mics there. And right, whatnot, yeah. not really nice gear, but um, but doesn't matter. Uh, you're going to pick up, depending on how you mic, a lot of fret noise, or they call it fret noise. The, the noise that um, I tend to struggle with in my ear, I like it in person, but with recording it, it becomes a, a bit of a nuisance yeah is just the sound of, of like you're like especially okay we're in utah in the winter time my hands get dry 
I yeah. try to I try to record more in the summertime when yeah. it's just not so dry, and I find it just it's less string scrapey noise. Yeah, which for whatever reason just translates ugly through a microphone. Yeah, and if you use some compression, um, if you use a lot of compression and do it maybe not in the best way, you that stuff can get really loud yeah, and it just nasty. jumps. It just jumps right out. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's another thing too. Like when you're recording whether it's guitar or really anything, you're trying to represent something that's really natural sounding through speakers or headphones, but if you think about it, how often do you stick your head 8 inches from a guitar that you're <laughs> listening to, right? Or you know, like if yeah. you're if you're micing a saxophone or a drum kit, you're not putting your ear 4 inches from a snare drum head or, you know, inside a kick drum. Um and that's why like there's this constant fight, I think, between having, like, how close can you get? How far away can you get? And I think yeah. some of the problems that, um, well, not some of the problems, the problems that people just will always run into is like, how do you represent it naturally, but record it in ways that are how you would never listen to it? So, uh, for example, like the farther you were to get away from the guitars you recorded, the more it would sound like if you were sitting in a room ten feet away. The problem is when you're Miking something that there's there's a so much sophistication that goes into human hearing that pulls out room tone and like you know like our our hearing and our brains just do all this filtering on its own that microphones don't don't necessarily do so you you run like a neutral gain on a microphone fifteen feet from a guitar and it like say you're in an audience fifteen feet away you're gonna catch so much more things from the micro in the microphone that you that don't bother you don't even notice typically when you're sitting there. And yeah. so as soon as you get to a position of needing to like boost the level, which is almost always the case too, those things start to like really really jump out. Definitely. And so mic choice can be Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go. Oh. Uh, I uh well, I was going to say um there is that that distance factor when you there's a point where you get far enough away from the guitar and it depends on your mic where you have to um start gain boosting yeah. and then then you're in a I think you're in a problematic area yeah. at that point. And so that's interesting because I used to use um a just a dynamic mic, you know, yeah. which if you don't know there's uh mainly like dynamic and condenser mics. Yeah, and, certainly uh, those are like the two biggest you're going to run into the other the third would be like you know, a ribbon microphone right which you probably aren't going to be buying if, for your first mic yeah and if you're in the realm of buying a cheap microphone buying a cheap ribbon would be kind of the last thing you'd want to do you know like a, a <laughs> yeah. cheap a cheap dynamic microphone or a cheap condenser yeah. microphone will almost always be better than a cheap ribbon microphone yeah so so the difference there um i'm sure some of our listeners know I, I'm, I, I'm speaking to everyone here though yeah. so uh you know not to insult anybody's intelligence but uh right. you know a dynamic microphone is very directional um, where you know you, you kind of need to be, it, it, it's it's got like the front right, it, yeah, whatever. It's and gonna so it's, it's gonna it's do a better job at like rejecting things from behind it or on right. the side. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's why we had Parker come on to explain <laughs> these things better. Uh, or as a condenser mic, you know, it's pulling from more. It's pulling from the room more. And so anyway, I used to use this dynamic mic, and it's a nice vocal mic, uh, like for like live gigging and stuff. Yeah, but. I found that I had to have it too close to my hand for comfort. Right. You know, if I put it farther back, it, it I was having to boost, and I was losing way too much of the guitar. Right. So, um, you know, that's why I ended up getting this condenser mic, which I still keep fairly like eight inches is yeah pretty pretty dang close yeah. Um, and I imagine you're doing that to to try to combat like I've been to your studio space and mm -hmm. like the room is probably similar to what many of your listeners listeners are dealing with too it's a smaller room yeah it's a small you know? room it could be a bedroom i mean it's it is yeah. essentially yeah. that it is i've turned into yeah oh yeah you know, but that's yeah, the way like, to do it you know you can get uh, a pretty decent sounding recording from not a lot of like um anyone who's listened to any of the recordings of my stuff on the on previous podcasts you know those were all done in this little room and um I don't. I don't have like sound panels hanging up. the The room is not soundproof. You know, right. there's not a there's not a guy <laughs> behind the glass. You know, right, right. Uh, you know, that's just just me. And and I do use uh, some software uh, to record into. And yeah. then I have a um, I do like a light reverb send, mm -hmm. and I do a very light 
compression on it, and that's it. Right. I don't do any EQing. I, um, I've read a lot about EQing with acoustic guitars and stuff, and arguments for or against. Personally, I I don't EQ a, sp- a solo classical guitar. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I I I try. I I have no desire to EQ it, but I. Yeah. Well, I, I, I come from like a it. realm of of uh, for me the approach is that of of minimalism. Like I, yeah, totally. try to in terms of like the recording process and then like post processing. Certainly, you know if. I'm going to apply something to fix a problem or accentuate something, do it with specific intent, you know. And so you not EQing but having slight compression and reverb send really does kind of emphasize the point made earlier where you've done a ton of experimentation with a microphone and your guitar in your room and have arrived at something that I've heard your recordings, they sound great. So, I mean, that's like a huge, a huge part of it. I think one thing that we have... Uh, a leg up on that maybe some of your listeners wouldn't have is that we work in a studio a studio environment and we're working with recordings um, all day all day yeah. so we have a pretty calibrated sensibility about how loud things should be recorded how loudly they should be like loudness in terms of like gain on a preamp for example mm-hmm. and if you know there's a large spectrum of people's knowledge we're talking about like the volume that you're setting your microphone to as you're recording into I mean that's probably a, the the easiest way to describe it. Um, if if you're not familiar, like tons of resources online, you can look into that. But I think in the work, um, I, I think that one problem that many people would have would be to be in a smaller room with like a cheaper microphone and record way too loud, mm-hmm. uh, really, 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 really loud. And, oh, um, I I hear that problem quite y- often. Yeah, exactly. I'm not 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 referring to um, the pieces people have been sending in. Those have been recorded well. Yeah, those sound but, great too. Uh, like if you get on YouTube, start watching you know home, yeah, home classical guitar videos. Man, there there's some there's some volume issues. Uh, yeah, they they are cranking those preamps. Yeah. Well, th- and there's a and lot that goes into that too. That's that's completely out of their hands. So this would be valuable if if you wanted to record something. And slap it on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music or Google Play. They're or a classical use- guitar composer Spotify. Or classical co- guitar composer Spotify. <laughs> exactly. See, exactly. Uh, which can be found in many of those uh, streaming services. But yeah, to your point, exactly. Uh, recording too loud, and then also um, like in the post processing, over compressing. And there's a lot of reasons to avoid recording too loud. One is that as you turn the gain up on a preamp. It, uh, for a microphone to me like if I I, I try to think you know, I, I like analogies I like to equate things I guess so uh, you know they have those little pictures of the cardioid pattern of a microphone you know and it's it's basically just like a for a cardioid microphone it's a an oval kind of anyway I, that's only valuable to demonstrate the point where you're, if you're opening up the preamp and you're turning it up it almost seems like that gets bigger in terms of what it can capture so right, if you're close to your guitar, eight inches a foot, you know, mm-hmm. and you turn your gain up, you're kind of expanding how far that microphone can see in the room, right? You know, yeah. and so if you're specifically trying to combat a smaller, bad-sounding room, or air conditioning, or heating, or your neighbor being noisy, turning that up is going to be the worst thing you could do because you're, you're you're making the microphone more sensitive to the things that aren't the source that you're recording. And there's really, I mean, it's hard to know how to guide people on where to be on that because everyone's using different gear, mm-hmm. different, you know, uh, Get, software. Different guitars, too. Uh, different, I mean, just, yeah, there's exactly. not a set thing you can do. Exactly. But what I would advise, advise is err on the side of recording softer than you think. Softer than you think. it. Like, if you're looking at a meter that's giving you a visual gauge, like, shoot for maybe, like, Anywhere between 65 and 85% of where that's going to meter. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a pretty good place to start. There's exceptions to every rule, too. Exceptions to every rule, because it really does depend. That's where the experimentation comes in. But if you're just starting out, that would be a good place to start. And that's mainly because um, if you're going to put it on YouTube, YouTube actually does its own la- loudness um, analysis. Same as, same as Spotify. That, really. Yeah, so they're okay. using a standard called LUFS, which stands for Loudness Units Full Scale. And there's just a, there's a ton of math that goes into determining, you know, how your 
how loud your track is, the perceivable loudness of your track. Um, and so what happens is if, let's say, um, Spotify's standard, the, the number I'm going to throw out is not going to matter really, except there's just the difference between the two numbers, right? Let's mm-hmm. say they want to see like minus 12 decibels. L-U-F-S. Mm-hmm. That probably means nothing to most people. But that just means that's what they want the average loudness to be. And if you're recording too loud and then compressing, and your L-U-F-S is minus 8, which is technically louder, what they're going to do is they're just going to turn it down. So now you've got something that's recorded too hot and over-compressed that's actually going to play at the same exact volume as someone else's. It's just going to not have as much like dynamic range. So if you're in a position where you don't know what any of that means, that's totally fine. They do this specifically to help people out, where if you record too soft, really recording too soft means that you're maximizing your dynamic range, and then YouTube or Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music, they're going to analyze the loudness, and they're going to make it, you know, basically match other music, yeah. you know, on their service. So they're, ac- they're actually doing a big favor if you kind of don't know where to be dialed in on that. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know they did that, but yeah, yeah. So that would be a piece of advice. They're playing all sorts of different. Uh, exactly. Sort. They're coming from all these sources. It's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and people nowadays listen to. I mean, you'll you'll s- s- playlists are playlists are like so diverse now, just in terms of genre. So you'll get like, like for me, I'll listen to, you know, like a Motown track, and then I'll be into you know like a prog rock track. You know what I mean? It'll, that'll be sandwiched next to like a jazz standard. If I'm just like randomizing my my playlist, mm-hmm. and they'll have like an ebb and flow because they're they're kind of curating a little bit of the loudness. And so now that this is kind of equating what they called, or this is kind of combating what was referred to as the loudness wars in the days of analog recording. It was record as loud as you possibly can to get over the noise floor of your room and your gear, and then it was like a competition to see whose record could be. <laughs> The loudest. <laughs> so now, you know, we're seeing a shift out of that, which is great because a- acoustic music is going to thrive based on this standard strictly because dynamic range is being preserved. And that's the first thing that gets killed when you're recording too loud and then over compressing. Yeah, definitely. And that to go back to what you were saying about um, if you have a visual meter that you can reference yeah. um, and you're keeping it between like 65 and 85, you know, you're going to want to like play your loudest chord and watch that make sure it's not peaking yeah and like that, you know that's that's pretty like 101 recording but yeah. um if you can do that cuz man you hear a lot of recordings where it's like all of a sudden when it gets loud it's kind of distorted mm-hmm. and that's what's happening um yeah. and uh so i'd say if you can get your mic placement and everything dialed into where your softest is ar- around that 65 you know or you're staying around that range but your your loudest is not popping you up to like 95 percent yeah you know you're gonna be you're gonna be in good shape yeah i mean if there's if there's like like we were at at work we're using pro tools and there are plenty of other like garage band is a comp is is audacity cubase you know logic pro all of them have a meter you can change the calibration of those meters, but ideally they they kind of have like a dark green zone and then a lighter green zone, a yellow zone, and a red zone on the yeah. meter. Yeah. And like you you really do want to keep it in those greens, you know what I mean? Like yep. tickle the yellows, like maybe, but yeah. if you're feeling edgy, you it, know, yeah, when you're, when you're getting yeah into your rasky autos, yeah, because because back in the day, you know, when you're recording analog, you'd you'd push the preamp hard, and you'd actually start getting some analog distortion and that's actually cool that, that like in the right cases analog distortion s- starts to break up in like a really pleasing way it's vibey uh-huh. it's really cool but we're using a lot of digital gear now so instead you get digital yeah. clipping which is just it, artifacting and, it, and you definitely ugly. don't want that uh, it, yeah it's it's different and it's yeah. ugly <laughs> it's different and bad so and like i said before if you err on the side of playing soft there's so much that you can do in post processing to raise the level um uh, and there's a lot yeah. that like YouTube's gonna do to help you with that as well. Yeah, and that's that's like uh you know when I was talking about my um, approach. It did come through trial and error. I've got some earlier recordings that I've not put on the podcast. <laughs> you know, like uh, right. And they're they're okay, but you know, I, it's it took me a while to kind of get this to where I like it. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just do a little light compression for some boost, you know, yeah. to boost um, th- that, that exact reason just to compensate a little bit. Um, and I record it a little quieter. That being said, you don't want to record it so quiet that you're yeah. like now having, you know, it's fine. In that. But yeah, I would suggest like um, play whatever you're going to record, play just a small chunk of that, record it over and over again with every thing you can think of mm. to try and and be an obsessive perfectionist yeah. in trying to get that sound dialed in. And, you know, I use like. I use Pro Tools at home too. Uh, you know, right. I can obviously you do, um, but you're what you're recording into. I mean, if you're recording just an acoustic guitar or a classical guitar, you can use you can get away with some, a very simple DAW. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Like, you know, it's real nice to have something like Pro Tools when you start to get into, you know, mixing and and you know, if you're doing you got a band or whatever. But you know, for purposes of this podcast i'm thinking of like i'm picturing myself years ago when i knew nothing about recording and i bought like i bought like this digital recording studio this boss oh yeah track thing yeah yeah it'll it'll have like onboard memory with like an sd card or or something it had a yeah yeah. two gig yeah something like the onboard memory or and you offload it with usb or something yeah well and and see i always i didn't know anything Right, but um, <laughs> right. But then, uh, I before that actually, I could go back farther than that. I used to use um the little, I don't know what it's actually called, but the little tape recorders that are just like, you know, they're like rectangular and they have a speaker. Oh um, yeah, I get what you're like saying. Like built in, you know, they're they're yeah. probably like a, I don't know, ten inches. Yeah. Long and six inches wide, and I used to record into those all the time, right? Yeah. Like, and so. I actually, by the way, love that sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and now it's, you know. There's like a. There's it's a, come a long way for me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I <laughs> there's a There's a charm to that stuff. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe people like who haven't figured out in terms of recording. I'm not going to like endorse a mic or say what mic to go by, you know. It, yeah. It's just, but well, I mean, the if point you, is, is that. You yeah. can do something yeah. for not a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, like some, uh, you don't want to necessarily point someone in a specific direction, but I mean, I have some in mind that would be, uh, I think, a good. Oh, you go ahead. Good, yeah. So uh, first, I totally agree with what Chris is saying in regards to like software and computer and stuff like that. I mean, the truth is where, where, where you'll get in the weeds is to overbuy on like a computer or overbuy on software when the truth is, like, if you already own a MacBook, it already has GarageBand, and you're already, you're pretty much there. That yeah. way, you know, if you're not doing multi-track recording of like many microphones, multiple microphones, you know, you can get away with even a small format interface. You know, like just off the top of my head, there's like Focusrite makes a USB bus-powered interface that has one or two or even four preamps i don't think the two and four are bus powered but anyway they're not that expensive and those uh you know can definitely get you there you know we're in the realm of like a hundred or two hundred dollars for that but so let's real let's back up let's talk about what a preamp is because i'm just thinking oh yeah there was a time where i didn't know what that was when i I first bought my first microphone i didn't know what a preamp was so let's talk about that so uh the the preamp is essentially uh the circuitry required um to translate the acoustic energy that your microphone is picking up into in in the case now uh like a digital audio workstation like GarageBand, and so it's it's there there's essentially the microphone into the preamp preamp into the converters which is converting an analog signal to a digital signal so that's when people refer to A to D or D to D conversions, that's analog to digital and then digital to analog. So um, between your computer, you're going to have your microphone. You're going to have to plug that microphone into something, and that's the preamp. And those boxes are built so they have the preamp and the converters in, typically in, but not always, but typically in one unit, at least in the price range that we're talking. And so, um, yeah, like the the acoustic energy is being picked up and translated into uh, voltages, you know, electric energy that's being 
then translated by the preamp. Um, so uh, you can't do it without it. You know, the preamp yeah. is a yeah. very critical role. It's a pretty uh, basic explanation of it, you know, and yeah. y- you can and get again, really... can get extremely expensive or oh, yeah. quite cheap. And, you know, it does make a difference, but it's not like you can't make something great out yeah. of... Like for example, uh, something for the longest time, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy and fortunate to be working with the gear that I have now, right? And it's expensive, and you know, that's awesome. It's pretty shiny. But for, <laughs> for a very long time, you know, uh, all through school, I was running just like a USB, you know, four input interface. I had that for a really long time, and I was doing multi track recording with it. You know, it had some expansion abilities, but but the truth is, like knowing the ins and outs of right where like the sweet spot on the preamp with that microphone is like that um, will almost always equate a better sounding recording than a a really expensive piece of gear that you don't necessarily know how to use. And and so the best part would be that if you learn, you know, how to have a scrutinizing ear, you know, that that skill set does translate as you start to upgrade, you know, in terms of the process of recording, I think many people minimalize it to being like anyone can do it. The problem is that's totally true. I am a complete advocate for anyone being able to learn. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that I'm a super smart guy, but I would just say I'm a determined guy who wants to know. So um, what I would advise is like at whatever level you are at, like set goals as to what you want your music to sound like. And then I I was actually describing this to a client I was doing a bit for recently where, um, the question was asked, you know, why would I expend this amount of money to have a professional engineer do this when I could spend half that money to buy gear, like bargain Mm -hmm. gear, and do it myself? And the truth is, um, like, the the arguments to to do either, are they really just come down to what your goals are because he could buy that bargain gear and he could experiment and learn and teach himself because that's what most people do to get really really professional results the difference is that he's equating like opening the box plugging it in and then bam right so a musician i think can relate to this really well um if you were like training to be a musician or are training to be a musician time and effort and consistency has to go into that both in learning the theory of it what's idiomatic on your instrument the the works on your music on your instrument that are hailed as being you know superior and the things that you can glean from learning those things that is the type of experimentation essentially on the instrument that we're talking about for recording you just have to do it you have to practice yeah you know and so by that standard you could be doing it on your phone but if you know how to do it well you can get great recordings on your phone even you can get great recordings with field recorders you know you can get great recordings with USB you know, interfaces, you can get great recordings with large format, you know, $100,000 consoles. You can also get really crappy recordings on $100,000 consoles. Absolutely. You can get really crappy cor- recordings on heard, a $2,000 preamp many. and a $10,000 <laughs> microphone. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, so the gear doesn't necessarily solve those problems. No. It can open up other avenues. It can overwhelm you, actually. Yeah. I, like, I, I, personally... I've kind of gone step by step, but there was a time, like when I first got Pro Tools, um, it was a little bit overwhelming, and I, I had it, and I just didn't use it for a while. I just <laughs> yeah. used my old ways. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> and Pro Tools, like, it's it's really simple, but there is a learning curve, like you do need to. Yeah. I, that's it, a, it's it, a hard it can, thing to describe. It can do so much that every button on your freaking keyboard is going to do something, and I, you know, if you don't know what that button does, you'll hit it, and all of a sudden you're you got a new window in front of you, or yeah. your uh, playback used to play like a tape where you'd hit stop and then go, and it would go from where you stopped, and all of a sudden it is rewinding to the same place every yeah. time automatically. That's the N key. Everyone runs it's into the that. N key. This is the first thing I encountered that just made me so angry. Yeah, actually set it backwards how, how I, pref- <laughs> I prefer it to not run like a tape but to keep playing. yeah me too whatever that's called like i, I like it off but yeah stuff yeah. like that man i, I drove me nuts for a while yeah. <laughs> like, that i just yeah. I, I learned how to i took a class learned how to use it it's not yeah. a big deal but the point being like there's a lot of knobs and and i didn't know what they do and you know 
eventually I'm going to learn them, but it, it kind of can stifle the recording for a while. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'm going to record when, as soon as I learn how to use all this expensive stuff I bought. Exactly. Where it's like, man, just, just do it. Just record something. Yeah. And then record a better recording later, later when you learn more. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Overbuying is a huge, o- overbuying now is a problem just because everything is cheaper than it was like 20 years ago. Yeah. If you if you wanted to record something and publish it so that someone on the other side of the world could hear it, you know, 20 years ago, that was, or 20 or 30 years ago, that was way more difficult than it is now. So, th- like, the price of gear is, is low mm-hmm. comparatively, but, and that makes it even more tempting to overbuy, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah, Waves puts out freaking sales every day that I'm like, uh. Yeah, I, I know. It's like. <laughs> yeah, wa- Waves is a company that makes plugins. Here's our $900 bundle for $49 it, today only. It, like, yeah. Are you serious? But then I get the same email like next week. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there's always stuff like that. You know, I I, I love, uh, I think Sweetwater is amazing. And I like yeah. my rep there. But, you know, I get a phone call from him <laughs> like, look, Rob, I love you, man. I want to spend every dime on new gear. But I can't. Yeah. You know. <laughs> my, my call's. Hey, uh, how's that? You know, I bought a preamp from Sweetwater uh, like five years ago. And he still calls and checks t- up. He calls and checks how how it's going. How's that preamp holding up? How how uh, how you yeah. how's your music going? And uh, it's really cool, but it, it's funny because I'm like, well, it still works. It's actually a really outdated piece of equipment now, but it still works great. So yeah, I, yeah, I love it. But uh, I I actually ignore the call. That all comes through voicemail because I. Don't <laughs> <laughs> jo- yeah, I, I got you. I got you. Uh, jokes aside, they are the golden standard for customer service. I think I buy something from them Truly. and it ships in like a Truly. day. When I do need something, they're there, man. Oh yeah, Just, uh, <laughs> exactly. That's it's great. Yeah, so there's yeah there's good place to go online if you're doing if you're not going to like you know your local music shop. Yeah, or or like there's almost always someone in your local market who's selling something who just upgraded who's selling something that's yeah. in great shape used. Absolutely. And so if you're just getting into it, you know, like used stuff is a great used way stuff. To start. And there's probably someone in your area who already has like a microphone and a preamp and and for you it, it's a good way to just kind of like dip your toe and get into it like and just and just see what it's like you know the experimentation can be done i would always suggest like starting small and learning you know one set like learning how to record your guitar in your room with your microphone and scrutinizing that being really objective right because mm-hmm. that's another thing like Sometimes we can kid ourselves when we're working on our own projects. Do you know what I mean? We have like demoitis about our own song. We've written something that we're impassioned about, or and and we can give it a pass on quality of this or quality of that. Like, so you learn to be scrutinizing. You learn to have a, a scrutinizing ear, and then also listen to other people who are doing it really, really well. You know, now there are resources out there where you can go listen to any genre. Someone doing it immaculately, and. You can compare. You can A and B. You can say, "All right, what? How does this sound? What do I need to do? Where do I need to place my microphone to get closer to this and closer mm-hmm. to this and closer to this?" You know, and it's really the the skills you learn to troubleshoot those problems that train your ear to make getting more expensive gear worth it. You know, you'll start to hear the differences. You'll start to understand those things, and then those skills will translate like as you grow and as you upgrade. But by no means do you have to you know, buy a thousand dollar preamp and a you know, a couple thousand dollar microphone or even a five hundred dollar microphone. No. I mean, anyone who uh, um is working with those pieces of gear regularly, like we are, would say they're great. Love them. But you know, you don't have to. You don't have to yeah. be there and y- I think you should grow into that. We know? do love them, but we did not foot the bill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We just get to play with them yeah, all day. That's the other that's <laughs> the other thing too, right? Like we're not on the hook for that <laughs> yeah. stuff. You know, in terms of buying it and maintaining it. So that's another thing too, right? There's a different connection to what you buy and what you own, you know. Yeah. I uh in terms of like classical guitar, um, a lot of guys they go to like a cathedral and record there you know and 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 so you get these beautiful uh rooms you know there it's mm-hmm. like this reverb uh that's incredible i personally i i like that in person i don't like recording swimming in reverb um recorded in like a, a cathedral it, it depends on how it's recorded right I've, I've there are recordings i love like that um i don't recommend and it's reverb reverb is a taste thing 
I oh, don't. Yeah. I personally don't like a recording. I want reverb, but I don't want it swimming. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there was a, a a recording just came to mind that this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little off the rails here, but uh, this guy recorded like I think he was trying to capture, um, like the woods. Well, he was. It's a recording of some. What's his name? McDowell, the American composer. McDowell. Oh, okay. This guy, there's, he did really beautiful arrangements for classical guitar of these piano pieces, but then he like recorded them outside. Like you can hear a truck driving in the background and things like that, oh, and like birds chirping. And I, I imagine that was an intentional ambiance thing. It drives me freaking nuts. Like the goal would be like the wind in the trees and the birds, but then you get a helicopter flying over a truck going by. Yeah, I think at one point you get like a, a reverse, like beep beep, <laughs> like like what you're going for and to supplement and like enhance ends up being a distraction. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, you know, some people probably like that. <laughs> I, like the the picky audio guy me that like sits and listens for flaws all day and and like mm, yeah very good musicians recordings like you know cleaning them up i'm like get that bird out of there yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no i get that too <laughs> why is there wind yeah <laughs> you know i get uh, that i get that but you know i do uh i do personally hold like you know for our I, i'm not gonna say like where we work i don't know if i I, i'm sure we're allowed to i just don't don't, i'm not going to i don't know but uh (laughs) essentially parker and i we record um well we record musicals so like musical theater and so you're dealing with all styles of music you know we're dealing with like big orchestra full orchestras to little combos you know at any given time and and for our purpose we are very scrutinizing the music works with software and it, it yeah more you know. specifically we, we we work uh we create uh performance backing tracks right we're not um, dealing with vocals we're yeah we're yeah so the idea being that if, if you are uh going to be performing a certain show or you know and you purchase a license through the the production company to do that show if you were to opt out of doing like a live band or orchestra or pit you know an alternative would be using recorded tracks and yeah. so we're we work on a product that um, uses software for a lot of really cool reasons. Uh, but ultimately, I think the point you're talking about is that because we're doing something that goes all over the place and is performed in like small theaters, big theaters, junior highs, community theaters, touring groups, you know, we have to be pretty, pretty scrutinizing in terms of like individual instrumentation, individual recordings. Yeah. Because there's, you know, a large expanse of their performance and they have to be really. Yeah, dialed in, and you know. and even things like like you catch a wrong note, like guitarist at a live show hits a wrong chord, um, it's no big deal, but for us it's like that track is going to be played over and over and over oh, again. Yeah. We we don't want a wrong chord or whatever. So, and, and beyond wrong chords, I, you know, they are highly scrutinized, yeah, um, and thoroughly gone over. And um, so what I guess the point I was trying to eventually get to here is that i i have to turn that off when i on oh yeah with my, because i can get really really picky listening to my it's probably it's actually i'm gonna say this the, the uh it has made me um a much better musician in fact uh for this episode the, the uh the guy who sent in some music this week he, he mentioned um like always learning like he's got a master's mm. degree right? right but he's still learning and it's like i've learned more as a musician since i got my degree in music like then then when you were when, 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 when you were it. getting when it. i got it like set me up to be able to learn yeah oh yeah constantly playing and recording and that's interesting we've never talked about that specifically but i you know that i would that's a really great way of describing my experience too you know yeah like, it, it kind of forces it so when i'm like you know I, I i scrutinize people's rhythm all day right like like yeah. I'm like, this, I feel like this rhythm Nazi, and uh, <laughs> articulation and yeah. yeah, everything, and it's made me hyper aware of my own, you know. Yeah. And so, but see, there's a lot of like call for like rubato and classical guitar mm-hmm. at times, and um, I I have to make an effort to like turn, the, turn like robot mode off. Yeah. That's I not hear, to I say hear. our tracks are robotic. It's they're just highly yeah. scrutinized. I'm just listening for everything, and then we decide: do we keep that? 
little yeah. off thing, or do we need yeah. to have it fixed? Well, it's interesting because we also really try to emphasize the keeping of like rubato, like in 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 the Absolutely. music that we're creating. But the, the hilarious part about it is that in order to pull it off well, we have to be <laughs> very technically scrutinizing of of, of yeah. how to do that and Absolutely. have it implement into our software and be performable and repeatable and, and you know so like something that we're f- we're really dialed in on and trying to pull off and preserving like the natural musicality of something hilariously requires us to also be very scrutinizing and technical of it and i i feel the same way right like uh mm-hmm. being able to like i loved my time in school and it like i had mentors that were just so awesome at like being objective and giving advice and pointing at something and being like, listen to this, listen to this. And then as soon as I graduated and, you know, picked up freelance clients and, and then, you know, started working at the company we're working at now and then getting hired and, you know, all of those skills in school translated into me like appreciating and liking the the need to experiment and build those skills. And then it totally applied to my own musicianship where I record something and listen to it and go, oh, not, yeah. a fa- not a fan of that, yeah. and you know. <laughs> when did I? I didn't know I couldn't count. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, I actually am. I tend to be, uh, you know, in the classical guitar world, you've got a range of like professional guitarists who, who you know, you listen to different guitarists take the same piece, right. and some take it very. Um, some w- might approach it very. I don't want to say mechanical. But they're very precise on the rhythm, right? They're mm-hmm. Mechanical is the wrong word because it's it's not without musicality. Um, but then there's others who want to embellish everything, and they like you know. And my teacher, he he was one of those more embellishment guys. You know, he he really likes rubato. Um, in my opinion, where where it sometimes it really doesn't belong. Right. So, it and it was fun for me because I'm one of those more uh, rhythmic people. Like I want, I I, I tend to want it very precise right and um so it was a good he would pull me out of that you know it was great great for me but um we were working on a, a piece by taroba um it's the second movement to sweet castellana which um I'm, i don't know you're not you oh yeah i bet a lot of folks listening at home might be oh yeah yeah oh but yeah. you can bet i'm gonna listen to that now that's the <laughs> okay. thing well the sec i so there's a, a guitarist um, woman, <laughs> that's not the best way. Uh, Anna Vitovic, uh, you know, professional classical guitar. She's brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. She's one of those more. Uh, she's very precise, right? And so she she was coming to Utah, and um, it was when I was still uh, in college, and uh, my teacher talked me into going and signing up for a master class with her, and so I did. And that particular movement, you know, studying it with with my teacher was uh, very we did a lot of rubato right and uh <laughs> so so i go play it for her and um it was like she's like well you really need to try counting <laughs> and it was like it was like the most i don't think she meant it this way but it was the most insulting just like, a javelin to the heart it, it was very uh <laughs> yeah it was like a kick in the gut it was like i know how to count <laughs> like, yeah like yeah I, we're beyond counting and so she had me play it again and like she, I was, and so i did i played it just straight you know and she's like yeah 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 it was good and it was funny like everybody gathered around like you, their heads you could see it just bobbing with the beat up and down they're like one two you know <laughs> yeah, like yeah all like in unison you know and anyway <laughs> <laughs> that's a little kind of felt barbecued a little bit in that moment i did and you know what that it's it's killed that piece for me i love the piece but every time i play it i just like, it's like I, this wound there it's not so much a wound but it's like a, i can't just settle in and play it like i'm constantly like what would my teacher say what would anna say yeah. you know like oh it, it's like, i got gotcha. you and so I've, I've probably gotten past that now like you know, but uh, it's kind of funny how different people will right. approach things. Uh, oh, definitely. So yeah. we've gotten off the rails now, and I like that. Yeah, well, yeah. Like me I was too. telling you earlier that um, I, you know, this is a guitar show. Well, this show's gone nothing like I planned anyway. And at this point, <laughs> I, I is that like, good? <laughs> I guess yeah. I, you know, um, I, I, I really did not plan on it being a talking podcast. I thought like. It, um, a little bit of talking 
but mainly uh, I was going to model it after this podcast that I love um, called Anything Ghost. I'll go ahead and put in a plug for it. It's called Anything Ghost by Guy Lex Wall. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's it's ghost stories, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but basically, he just, people send him ghost stories and he reads them. And I was like, hey. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah, I got you. So it's less so, about discussion about it and more. He doesn't about showcasing. say anything. Gotcha. You know, he, but he he plays his own music. He's a composer, and so it, like the intro is this really. It's kind of cool, you know. Right. He's got some. It's very MIDI stuff, you know. It's, yeah. It's MIDI recordings, and it's great. I I really dig his music. Um, nice. But like, I I couldn't tell you his opinion on anything because <laughs> he just right. You know, and he, so he reads the. In one episode, like he's, like he knows some of these stories are BS, and there's ones right. he, he buys and ones he doesn't, but he doesn't say so. He just anyway. I was, that was kind of how I was modeling my podcast, and obviously, there's more ghost stories than uh, classical guitar pieces out there. Well, or I, at least there's a lot of outlets for classical guitar. It's not like my show's the only place you can right. put one on, but it didn't go that way. But a lot of the feedback I got was people did enjoy the talking, and. Uh, so it's right. kind of become the thing now. Okay. And well, that actually br- brings me up a question that I've had since, like, even listening to the first episode. And I didn't want to ask because it was like, oh, he's going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> but uh, so, like, to me, so don't take this uh, as an offense because it's absolutely not. This I'll clarify. I'm, I'm a very here. offendable person. Yeah, as you okay, know. exactly. So, so uh, I Being when sarcastic. I when I when I went to school, I was actually a jazz studies and performance major initially, and that degree got absorbed into um, what was then called the commercial music degree, and that's where I got into engineering and production, and I totally fell in love with that. And through engineering and production, I still, since it was a school of music. And I, I really loved this. I was still required to and enjoyed taking, you know, private studio lessons on my instrument, right? So I, I still did private lessons. I still did ensemble performance and group performance and master classes. Very crucial and valuable for me, engineering. But one thing where, where as a performer, my focus is, is has been certainly in, like, jazz. I'm a huge... I, I just love funk music, Motown music, mm-hmm. jazz. You know, like, I, I'm really... You know, that's kind of always been my vein there. And when I got to college, you know, there was also kind of this, all right, we're studying jazz. There's a jazz performance sensibility there, but you also need to learn classical works, right? And, like, (laughs) naive, I got to college with a very, like, base, not a lot of understanding of what classical saxophone (coughs) would be like. And essentially what I found is that, like, saxophone was invented in the 1800s, 1840s, you know, I think. Yeah, 1840s. Very young instrument in in comparison to other, you know, instruments that have a massive expanse of classical works. Um, And so my primary instrument is a berry sax, baritone saxophone, and so that even narrows the field within the realm of saxophone for classical music too. So oftentimes for saxophone, especially baritone saxophone, the things that I was training to play were actually cello, uh, written initially written for cello, right? And so, you know, the, cha- right, yeah. the, the, the most notably being like the Bach cello suites, those are, mm-hmm. you know, ones that are like technically challenging and really great to dig into on saxophone, especially baritone saxophone. And so, you know, that was uh, into that, but there isn't a lot that is specifically written for like Barry Sachs in a classical sensibility. There, there are things there. It's not to say that there's nothing that's a vacuum, but there's a lot there. Just in terms of classical guitar, like I would imagine, and, and again, this comes from, you know, the things that I've listened to on your podcast. Uh, like some of them are original compositions, right? You, you played it, you've had some of your original stuff on there as well, but how much of, like, can you help paint a picture for me of what the landscape is in terms of classical guitar? Do you see that what is being performed, you know, is written specifically for gla- classical oh, yeah. guitar? Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Do, do you know so what I mean? So by original compositions, you mean, well, in on my show, yes, because everything's, I'm yeah, not oh, playing any. Right. Uh, but Right, because it's a cl- the classical no, composer's I, podcast. You're featuring people's compositions. Yeah, I'm, I don't yeah. use any. I, I mean, there's right. plenty of public domain I could use, but it's just not. Right. Show. So, right. uh, but I, I, that's interesting that you brought that up because I've never thought about that with the saxophone, but it, a lot of early 
well, okay. Bach, everyone plays Bach. Like his music yeah. just translates to everything so well. So yeah. that's um, you know, we we have Bach. Bach wrote four lute suites, um, which is close to the guitar. Uh, and they're they're brilliant. Like I love them. Two of them are really transcriptions he did from like <laughs> one's you know one's a violin partita gotcha that, that it's just reworked for it was and then the, i think the other one is one of the cello uh cello suites i guess mm. i'm not as familiar with box cello music but um there's beyond that there's actually i, I actually did a research paper on this in college like there, there's an argument to be made that those were written for a lute harpsichord not a not oh. even an actual lute interesting yeah so that being said they they are effectively transcriptions like they're, they're they were not written for the guitar right. but they're close but no i it's part of the whole premise of why i wanted to do this show i feel that i feel like the best period of of classical guitar is 20th century and you know me, I'm not a 20th century music guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think John Cage is a bum. And I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not into that. <laughs> no. That's hilarious. No, I, I, I don't got mind. You. I, uh, I don't saying. mind like dissonance, you know. But I, I talked about this before on the podcast a little bit about. Okay, I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. You know, I I like getting out there a little bit, but I think it's gone beyond. Uh, I think it's just gotten so ridiculous. The 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 classical snob world, you know. Anyway, but no early twentieth century stuff that that was being written for like Andreas Segovia, is fantastic. I love that. So, so like Taroba, the guy that wrote the suite I was talking about. Right. Uh, guy I love, um, uh, Castel Nuovo Tedesco. Uh, I've played a, a handful of stuff by him. Awesome, awesome stuff. Problem is, none of these guys played the guitar, so they would send the they would write something how what they wanted. They'd send it to Segovia, and then he would edit the crap out of it and send it back. Right. You know, and so, in my opinion, Segovia went too far a lot of the time because um, he would make it more simple for guitar to make it more playable on the guitar. That's the thing. I felt like he, he simplified things too much. Hmm. I don't always agree with his solutions, but there's others. There's some pieces. Uh, Taroba's Castles of Spain. Segovia made some changes that I love. Like, you can, you know, I, like, I, have, I try to get additions. I try to compare, like, originals, right. you know, if, any, if I can. So sometimes I think he did, uh, you can't, his name is kind of sacred in the classical guitar world. Okay, you know, interesting. He's really the, the plowman who who brought it into existence as a respectable instrument amongst like academic <laughs> right. whatever you know but um so i kind of have a love hate feeling about it. <laughs> more love uh but he he just he was a it wasn't he went beyond making it playable he would like yeah i don't like that chord i'm gonna make it this you know right. <laughs> so I always try. Right. but sometimes i think he actually did change things for the better so, but I think that period of guitar is the best stuff for guitar because it was written for guitar. It was worked, it, even though those guys weren't all guitarists, they were working with a guitarist to, you know, get that. Gotcha. So, and so I feel like the guitar, you know, because I, I also play the violin. I don't really play it anymore. I used to play violin. You know, I played in the orchestra when I was in college and stuff, you know. Um, the violin catalog is incredible. And it goes far back. Same with keyboard music, right? Like yeah. you can just find amazing keyboard music from all eras. Uh, guitar has some really neat stuff. Uh, it's kind of unique to guitar, the Renaissance period, right? Because lots of loop oh, stuff yeah, there, yeah. and it's it's a lot of stuff that's kind of secular. And uh, but you'd, we didn't have Mozart, right? Like, right. and it, it's me, my opinion. Mozart is way better than all the other guys that were writing at Mozart's time. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I would agree. Uh, same with Bach. I, I, I'm not necessarily a Baroque fan, but Bach is my favorite composer ever. Right. You know, uh, so we did not have Mozart. We didn't have Tchaikovsky, Beethoven. Beethoven's music doesn't trans translate to guitar very well. Neither does Mozart's. It's just, you know, but we, we had some guys, um, Soar and Giuliani are two guys, and Carcassi, I guess, 
but like Sora and Giuliani, if I'm not mistaken, they actually lived really during the Romantic period, but they wrote more. They were out of their own. They wrote. Like, kinda they kind of throwback to yeah. classical, and I love them, but they're not as good as Mozart. You know, their their pieces aren't as good as Mozart, and um, and then you get Terraga is kind of the face of the Romantic period with guitar, and he's he's great. He's written some gorgeous pieces, but he wasn't the most prominent. He didn't write much. And like most of his stuff is etudes, stuff he's writing for his students, right? Oh, okay. But then you had um, the pianist Isaac Albanese is, is a commonly transcribed. Uh, I think Tarraga transcribed him, and then Segovia, and then it, countless people since have retranscribed <laughs> his stuff. And right. uh, guitarist Manuel Barwaco, or I love his transcriptions, but they're hard because he tries to stay faithful, right? You know. Right. And uh, anyway. So, no, I feel like there's a bit of a hole there. There are composers who did some throwback writing to that era, like, uh, I think it's pronounced Ponce, Manuel. Yeah. Ponce? Ponce, I don't know. Uh, Mexican composer. Um, he's got, like, the classical sonata and a romantic sonata. Those are really cool. But they're of, the, of the people that you just listed, he's the only one that I think I can actually hear it in my head because like <sighs> you, you know lost me a little bit there but that seems very familiar and <laughs> to that point sketching these out i'm gonna listen to these for sure oh yeah i could refer uh, you to some cool that'd pieces. be great uh, sorry i was just it's i was okay. proud of myself because like one of these he's gonna mention no it's okay and i'm and gonna know there there's some there's some you know there oh the uh carlo domeniconi i think he's still living he's he's pretty old now but he, he some incredible guitar music mm. um so, I yeah I think the strongest guitar music comes out of the twentieth century, and that's when you is that when you you would say that's where there is an expanse or a larger amount of works that were specifically written for guitar. Yeah, and and they were like real good composers, not just guitarists right. uh, composing for their students. Gotcha. There there is a guy uh, named I my listeners probably hate the way I pronounce things so bad, but I you know <laughs> whatever. You know, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a hick from Utah. <laughs> Barrios. Yeah. <I> yeah. <laughs> Augustin Barrios yeah. Manjois. Yeah. Anyway. Well, uh, I won't I won't fault you. I think I just call him Barrios. He's awesome. He's he's you know, he was a great guitarist and composed. But here's the thing, he's he's a performer, really, you know, mm-hmm. who could compose. But I you know, like Bach, he was a composer who could well he was by all accounts, a right. brilliant player too. But you know, uh, yeah, the 20th century, you get some serious composers composing for guitar, right? Right. And um, and now there's there's a lot of stuff uh, that I don't like that I I hear sometimes. If you go to a guitar recital, you're gonna hear all these things. So you're gonna hear music that was written for guitar in the 20th century and even 21st. Lots of brilliant stuff from the 21st too. Um, and sometimes you hear stuff that personally I don't care for, where it's like it's just like a weird fest, you know? How right. weird can I get? And uh, some guys, you know, they <laughs> it, it's cool. It's not my thing. No, uh, I got you. I get I, what you're saying. I guess. Um, anyway, so yeah, part of what I wanted to start the podcast is uh, I wanted to hear just kind of what people are recording. You know, like I I kind of want to hear amateur composition, and I don't mean amateur as an insult, like that you're not good or that you're right but like you know well i i don't expect andrew york to compose a piece for my podcast right like (laughs) like he's he's doing fine right uh i'd appreciate it if he did (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know someone like myself who it's like i i this is a thing i do and there are some like people who've sent in pieces it's like this does seem to be what they do for a living and that's really cool but um you know, I, I I would like to hear from people who, you know, aren't, I don't want to say not professional. I don't mean it in a derogatory way, but not professional. Not no, doing no, I this, get what you're like, saying. Like, not signed. You in, know, your, in your description I'm, of the podcast, when you were, like, when you told me, you're like, I'm starting a podcast. I was like, cool. And you're like, I actually already recorded the first episode. Like, oh, cool. And I'm like, <laughs> what's it about? And your initial description to me, it seemed like you wanted to have, like, 
just maybe a sensibility of community about people who are composing for classical guitar and having having a a platform for people who are composing something regardless of what they do that they could send it to you and have it played like yeah. you listen to it and then and there the would be like a shared it would be community heard by yeah heard yeah. by the t- like it will reach people that yeah. the only people listening to my show are people who like classical guitar right right and it's kind of like a, a something you and I share a love of disc golf yeah most people watching disc golf are disc golfers. In fact, I'm going to venture to say maybe no one watches disc golf that doesn't play. Yeah. You know? Classical guitar is is a world like that. Like, Gotcha. It, no, I'd say 90% of the people at a guitar recital played in some capacity. Right. But uh, And there's like you who's been turned on to it by me. You know, but but it's not yeah. your thing and that's okay. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm the type of person who is is like extremely interested in in people doing things well, right? I'm the type of guy who will watch a documentary about, like, the world championships of whistling, and it will blow my mind, and and I'll love it. And that's why, like, this is... Because, like, the stuff that you have shown me, (laughs) like, uh, sounds phenomenal. And for me, from, you know, like, from I can appreciate what would go into writing it, composing it, arranging it, performing it, and then the technical aspect of recording it, producing that, and, like, getting it out to the world. I, you know... That's why I myself was surprised, you know, because you were like, "Hey, I got this podcast," and I was like, "Okay, cool, I'll listen to it." And I, I you know, we're buddies. I'll yeah. go check out what you're doing. And yeah. then, you know, aside from that, I was like really fascinated by it. That's cool. And so, I guess maybe that would be a thing. Like, uh, you know, I'm happy to be uh, to be able to come on and talk about recording. And I guess the biggest thing would be like, it sounds like you'd be trying to encourage people who are listening, like if they have something that they've played or they've written and like they feel that there's a wall or a barrier that is just the recording of it. Like mm-hmm. you can get into that. That was my hope by yeah. doing this. That's um, a, uh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, no worries. Yeah. It's close enough. Okay. Cool. 